Welcome to the Dreamcatcher Podcast, a place where your dreams can find a voice. I'm your host, Celine Chenoy. Thank you to all of you who return every week to tune in to become a better version of yourself. Make sure you hit subscribe if you haven't already, and rate our show if you enjoyed this episode. Do you sometimes feel like you're holding yourself back from greater success, prosperity, and joy? Many of us spend our entire lives struggling with different forms of self-sabotage, often with no end or solution in sight. But according to my guest, Marissa Peer, there is a way to shift your thinking and ways of being that work for you instead of against you. She's here to share her wisdom with us. Marissa Peer is the founder and creator of Rapid Transformational Therapy, a new and exciting multi-award winning therapy. She has spent over three decades treating a client list that includes international superstars, CEOs, royalty, and Olympic athletes. Marissa has been seen on many high-profile U.S. and U.K. television networks. She's also an acknowledged inspirational speaker, from TEDx and Condé Nast to the Royal Society of Medicine. Marissa believes that all of us have the potential to reach great heights in every facet of our life. She'll explain how to reprogram our mind and remove internal blocks so that our thoughts, patterns, and habits align with the person we want to become. Hello, Marissa. How are you doing today? I'm very good. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thank you. I've had the pleasure of seeing you speak at a couple of events, and I have to say that I found your talks very, very inspiring. It really opened my eyes to the potency of our thoughts and how they can impact our decisions and the trajectory of our life. And consequently, I've become so conscious of how I speak to myself. So I just want to start out by thanking you for the positive impact you've had in my life. Oh, thank you. That's so kind of you. Thank you. So Marissa, you've had a career spanning 30 years during which you worked with some really big names. You worked with people from all walks of life, including Hollywood celebrities, royalty, CEOs, and athletes. Was there a common thread in the work that you did with them that really shifted your understanding of the human mind? Oh, yes. I, I realized very early on in my career that all of these people had the same issue. And the issue was always the same. I'm not enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy enough. I'm not smart enough. Even I'm not talented enough when they were very talented. So there's so many ways that I'm not enough shows up, but not worthy enough and not deserving of love. Like, you know, you might love me, but you'll find out I'm not lovable. I've got this great success, but one day you'll find out it was a fluke and I'm a big fake and so on and so on. Okay. And I, I've heard you say that it, it's because it, it, it originates from our childhood and that we're hardwired to go off what we, what we experienced as children. Like if our parents criticize us, if they belittle us in some way, it does reflect on how we behave and act as an adult, right? Yeah. When you're a child, you have very, very simple needs. A child needs to feel loved, safe, 
secure and they need to feel significant. They need to feel they matter. Of course, you might say, well, surely every child feels love. But imagine if you're a child in daycare or looked after by a nanny or a grandparent or a relative. They may not love you, but at least if you feel significant to them, they will care for you. So our predominant needs are, if I'm loved, safe, secure, significant, I'll make it to adulthood. But for many of us, for all kinds of reasons, we don't feel loved. We have parents who say, I wanted a boy and you were the third girl. I wanted a girl and you were the third boy. I wanted someone to make my marriage stay together and it made it worse. I wanted someone to take over the family business. And so many of us hear the opposite. We hear that we're a disappointment, that we're not significant. Even when my parents say things like, I love you because you're pretty or I love you because you're clever, what we hear is, oh, and if I wasn't, you wouldn't. So when those needs are not met, of many, many of us, they're not met. I didn't feel significant. And when I was growing, I didn't feel important or significant. I felt love, but it was very conditional love. Did I feel safe? Well, my parents were fighting all the time, so probably not. But when those needs are not met, what happens is the child begins to believe they'll never be met. I'll never get these things because I'm not worthy because until the age of five, you don't even have any logic at all. Only feeling. And a child's feeling is if you don't love me, I guess I'm not worthy of love. If you don't care about me, I guess I'm not worth caring about. If I don't matter to you, then I guess I don't matter to anyone. And the problem is once a child buys into that, not that they have any choice, they don't know how to get rid of it. So that's the problem that we pick up these beliefs very early on that we're not enough for all mm. kinds of reasons. Then a light doesn't go on when you get drunk and think, oh, right, I was just seven when I believed that. And of course, it's not actually true. The light doesn't go on. You stay believing what you believe because we all learn what we live. And so the damage is done very early. But the second damage is how do we get over that damage? How do we go back and have a look and say, well, I believe that, but it wasn't actually true. Or even if it was true, it doesn't have to be true for me today or for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. And what if we try to change our thoughts on a conscious level? For instance, when I was about 16 years old, I started reading self-help books. And I was an avid reader. I read for a couple of years and then those subconscious beliefs from my childhood started creeping up in my relationships, in my friendships. And it's interesting that even though on a conscious level, I had all this information and I did try to apply it, it wasn't effective in changing those deep-seated patterns within me. And is that something you see with your clients? Subconscious is the feeling mind and the conscious is the logical mind. So if, say you grow up and your mom is terrified of cats and screams when she sees a cat and, and a baby will pick up oh, and she goes, oh, that cat will scratch you and then you could get septic or that dog will bite you. So the, the feeling mind picks up our fears. You know, you could say I have a fear of lifts or a fear of airplanes or a fear of bees. And these fears are not logical because logically we know that you leave a bee alone, it's not going to hurt you. Mm -hmm. Lifts are actually safe. Aeroplanes are safer than cars. But when you get a fear and it goes into the feeling mind, the subconscious mind, you can't logically. I mean, if you are scared of a dog and a friend says, but this is a little chihuahua and it's so cute and it won't hurt you and look how lovely it is. That logic does not make the fear go away. When someone tries to explain to you how safe an aeroplane is as opposed to a taxi, 
or how safe a lift is or how safe um, a boat is, the logic cannot work because here's the rule of the mind. In a battle between logic and emotion, logic always loses and emotion always wins. It's like saying I've got a fear of height, so I can't go up to the top of a high building like the Burj Al Khalifa and look out of the window because my stomach is already dropping and I feel really sick. And that happens a lot with heights. When you go to a very high, you kind of walk around like that with your hands on the glass because even though you logically know this is completely safe, the emotion says, oh, my God, look how high you are. I was at Sushi Sambra a few weeks ago, and I had to do that walk. You have to put your hands out and look down and keep saying, this is fine. But your body is going, it's really not fine. Get away from the edge. So we know that logic cannot feed emotion. And that's why logical therapy doesn't have a massive success rate over time. You have to go back to the emotion. Why did you feel that as a child? What caused that feeling? And is there any good reason to keep the feeling here? But even then, you have to kind of negotiate with the mind and go, look, when you were seven, it made perfect sense to believe you're unlovable. So you can't do logic. If you could do logical stuff, nobody would be fighting over car parking spaces. You wouldn't have had people fighting over toilet rolls during COVID because you can't eat those. What's the point? So you you cannot use logic to defeat an emotional fear. Here's something that happens. People know that logically I shouldn't eat cake and I shouldn't eat ice cream and I shouldn't eat pizza. I should eat really healthy green stuff. I know that. But when I'm sad, I don't want the green stuff. I want cake and pizza and more cake because my emotional mind says that comforts me, makes me happy. Even if you're obese, the, the emotional belief that this will cheer me up. And saying to an alcoholic, now, come on, you don't need a drink. Have a lovely cup of tea. They look at you like you're mad because their yeah. emotion is they need a drink. And all the logic, of, well, why don't you have a nice coffee? How about a lovely dinner? How about just doing some deep breath, doing a bit of yoga? It's all. It's not going to hit the spot because the emotion is like, without a drink, I can't relax. I don't have any confidence. I can't enjoy myself. Yeah. And what are the telltale signs that you're under the grips of your emotional mind? Well, the emotional mind is the feeling mind. And so whatever you're feeling when, you know, I feel it. And then people say, but you shouldn't feel like that. I go, yeah, but I, I can't help it. It's like saying I shouldn't be diabetic. How can I help what I'm feeling? Your feelings are the most real thing you have. And so when you feel a feeling, the trick is, first of all, notice what you feel. So you say, I always feel abandoned. I always get left out. I always get dumped. I never get invited anywhere. Is that true? Well, even if it is true, you know, if you never get invited to places, it's your job to say, hey, please include me on the next picnic. I'd love to come because maybe it's not deliberate. And if you really overreact to it, it's not then. It's what happened years ago. Yeah. Triggered, right? You When you feel triggered triggers you and do you react or overreact and you know no one's sitting at home going oh hey I'm dumping you I mean you know people forget to call things happen but if someone doesn't call you at the allocated time and you really take take that very personally indeed like you know I had a meeting an hour ago and the person still isn't here but I know that she's in another meeting with someone very important and she can't leave and I said it's okay I'm going to be here until seven just get here when you can So you have to have a a bit of tolerance for people's stuff. But if you are intolerant and easily wounded, 
then the thing is the feeling, your feelings are the most real thing you will ever have in your life. And you've got to feel your feelings until they no longer require to be felt. So imagine you always feel left out. You go, okay, I always feel left out. That's old stuff. I always was left out. So let me do, I was always left out. So I've got to think about it. But today, it's my job to make sure I'm not left out. If my friend group leave out, let me find another group. And rather than wait to be invited, let me put on some events so I'm not left out because responsibility means an ability to respond. So it's one thing to say, I was always at school when I was a kid, and look, it's still happening. But it's your job to change the present. We can't change the past. You know, if your family always were jokey and teased you and made you feel silly, then your job is to say, you know, I don't like that anymore. I'm 45. That no longer works for me. I, I want you to stop doing that. We can't change the past. We have to be response able to change the future. So look at your triggers by all means. But then say, but it's not enough to go, oh, yes, I'm triggered. That's triggering me. What's happening now is that you have to look at the situation and go, what can I do to change it? Because if mm -hmm. you couldn't change it in the past, you're left with, well, I can't change it again. Like you say, I always date people that leave me. Well, maybe yeah. your job is to look at the kind of person you date and find someone completely different. Right. So it's gaining that conscious awareness and that perspective that there you are stuck in this pattern and that you have to get out of it. Yeah. And what gets you stuck is, you see, when you're a child, you can't fix it and you can't change. And it's called learned helplessness. The children think... Mommy's shouting at daddy and I can't change it and I can't fix it. Daddy's shouting at mommy and I can't fix it. So we get into this loop of I can't fix it, I can't change it, I can't fix it. As an adult, you can go, oh, yeah, my dad is still shouting at my mom. But I can say, you know what, when I come here for lunch, if you scream like that, I am leaving. If you behave, in fact, I'm not coming here anymore. Oh, that's just who I am. I know that. But it's not who I am. I don't come to lunch and listen to screaming. If you do that, then I just can't be around you anymore. So just mm -hmm. if you didn't have power or boundaries when you were a kid, you know, when you were a kid and your brothers would take all your potato chips off your plate, <laughs> yes. you go home and you go, okay, no, that's not okay. Please don't put your hands in my food. I don't like it. Don't do that. It makes me uncomfortable. If you're going to put your hands in my food, then I'm going to take my plate and go and eat somewhere else. So you have a lot of power that you didn't have as a kid, and you have to understand that power and use it, and then you actually feel freedom because when you do what a child couldn't do, you no longer feel like the trapped, helpless child. Mm -hmm. And can we develop these limited subconscious beliefs in our adulthood later on in life, for instance, if we have a very dysfunctional romantic relationship? Can that also impact our beliefs we always believe that deep trauma and patterns of damage start in childhood for most people okay if you were living your life and you were driving along and you got involved in a car crash or something happened then you are still going to be left with a fear of cars if you're driving along You know, for instance, I was run over last year and like yesterday was so weird. I was on the freeway and I was looking at the wheels of a lorry, imagining what happened when they were over my leg. And I thought, that's so weird that a year later I'm looking out the window and I'm remembering, oh, my God, those big wheels went over yeah. my foot. 
And it made me feel a little strange. It wasn't too bad. I thought, you know, I just got to keep looking out the window until I get bored with it rather than, oh, close your eyes, don't look, don't get in a car, don't think about it. So, you know, after I'd first got run over, it was really weird. I'd watch a show and think, oh, my God, somebody's walking in the road. I think because I I was, wasn't in the road. I was on a sidewalk. I still got run over. So it is very normal if you fall off your, your bike or you fall off a horse or a dog bites you as an adult. And if you're scared of dogs, you're going to be scared of stuff for a while because the brain will always remember what happened and remind you never to protect you. So, you know, if someone rings your door and then breaks into your house, every time the doorbell rings, you'll feel a little anxious. And then eventually you just get over it. But yes, you can have trauma as an adult. But I'm guessing it'll be easier to uh, kind of change that and replace that with healthier beliefs because... As an adult, you can make conscious decisions. It'd be easier to make conscious decisions to change, change the way. If you don't get the link, so for instance, many years ago, I was working for Jane Fonda in LA in the trunk. Of yes, my I car, read that. Yeah. Out, and this guy, I heard somebody running and I, and I knew this guy was going to mug me, but it was so quick. I didn't have time to stop it. It was over very quickly. But then what happened is I moved back to London. I lived next to a children's school. And every day I'd hear footsteps running and my heart would start to beat really quickly. Now I could say, oh, just before I got mugged, I heard the running. And I turned, now I'm hearing the running and my heart's good because my, my mind's going, you better check what that is because remember what happened last time. But if yeah. I hadn't linked the heart beating to the running, I would have thought, oh, my God, I'm going crazy. Every day I have palpitations. I'm having panic attacks. I'm getting anxious in the street. Only because I was a therapist did I understand my brain wants to protect me. I hear somebody running. My heartbeat goes up. And I have to look around and go, oh, that's just a little tenure. Then I feel okay. But if I hadn't made the link, I'd have thought, I'm going crazy here. I'm having these anxiety attacks every day. So a lot of people can't make the link. They don't understand the thing that is making them feel like that. And so it isn't always as easy if you can't make the link. You know, I've had people have the strangest fears of water or trees or lift. I know somebody who has a fear of buttons. Yeah, that's actually fairly common. Is it? Yeah, a fear of buttons, fear of rubber gloves. We can have fear of the strangest things, fear of sponges, fear of all kinds of weird things. But we have to use the mind as our best friend and go back and go, okay, no, no baby is born saying, I'm terrified of buttons. No baby is born saying, oh, my God, I can't bear footsteps. I mean, no baby is born saying, I'm really scared of bugs, because if they can, they'll put one straight in their mouth. So the very good news is every fear you're born with, you acquire. There's only two fears you're born with, the fear of falling backwards and the fear of loud noises. Other than that, every fear is a learned, acquired fear. And that's very good news. If it's learned and acquired, you can unlearn it and unacquire it. Mm. Yes, that is great news indeed. And uh, you actually briefly said that you think that traditional therapy takes a bit too long for us to recover from these from these um, phobias and such. And as a result, you have created your own breakthrough modality called rapid transformational therapy, uh, also known as RTT. 
And it's really effective for peak performance and treating depression, pain management, stress, and weight loss. So Marissa, we'd love to hear more about RTT and how it works. Well, traditional therapy isn't wrong, but again, it's the logical therapy. You go to see a therapist and say, you know, I'm terrified of spiders, for instance, or I'm, I'm scared of mice, or I'm really scared of being dumped. I'm scared of speaking in public. And traditional therapy will talk about it a lot, often to try and desensitize you. But what RTT does is immediately in one session, because you're scared of speaking in public or you're, you can't find love, let's go back. You know, I was working with a client who was so beautiful. It was rather odd to say, I can't find love. I, I Nobody ever asked me out, which was a little odd because she was striking, beautiful. But in the session, she remembered her father would sit on his knee and go, I love you so much and you'll never find anyone to love you like I do. Nobody could ever love you like me. You'll never find love like this again. He didn't say, he said it every day. So that became a fleeting thought that became a fixed belief. A little girl's now being told every day you'll never find love again like this. Nobody could love you like me. And now the mind's got a belief, I'll never find love like that again. And, mm. of course, what happens is what you expect tends to be realized. I'm going to get the flu. I always get allergies. I always get sick in November. I always get fat at Christmas time. I always get hay fever blah, 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 because we've got to be very careful with not understanding that this is the genie and your wishes is, and if you say, I know I'll get fat if I eat that, I know I'll get sick if I eat that, I know that will go wrong. Your mind's job, amazingly, is to make your thoughts real. And we know that because what you think of a drug, like if you think, oh, this is going to heal me, it actually will. What you think of a drug has more of an effect than what's actually in the drug, what you believe a drug will do. And if what if you think about food, your stomach rumbles. Think about something sad, your eyes fill up with tears. Think about something embarrassing and you go, think of something traumatic and you can actually feel, oh, I feel a little traumatized. So our mind is working every minute to make our thoughts real because that's its job. That's why when you see a scary movie, you can actually feel scared, so scared. It's almost, I've watched, I've been too scared to get upstairs and go to bed because I'm watching something so frightening. I don't do that anymore. But you have a job and your job is to think better thoughts all the time. This is going to go wrong. This is going to work out. I might get rejected. Who could reject me? I'm lovable. I'm, I didn't go to college. I need to go to college. I'm super smart. So if you could just constantly upgrade and update your thoughts, you know, we're so busy upgrading our software, but we've forgotten that this needs to be upgraded more than anything else. Upgrade your thinking because yeah. it would change your entire life. What about something as universal as public speaking? I know a lot of people suffer from the fear of public speaking and we feel our heart palpitate before we get on stage is that something everyone would need to work on? Would they need to get treated for that? Or is that something that they can manage? Well, we're all told, you know, the greatest fear in the world is the fear of speaking in public. No. The, yeah, yeah. But it's not true. The greatest fear is the fear of being rejected. If you know that your audience love you, you're not going to have a fear of speaking in public. 
And it's not that fear, it's the fear they might reject me. So we'll see mm-hmm. kids who want to go on stage and do a little dance or read a little poem because they feel really proud. And others go, no, I can't do it. So if you think you have a fear of speaking in public, remember, that's not true. You have a fear of being rejected, the most common fear in the world, because it wasn't that long ago that rejection would kill you. And we are born wired to find connection, avoid rejection. So you can do a bit of work on yourself and say, I've got something to say. I'm really good at delivery. This audience like me. I'm well prepared and I I know what I'm doing and I'm breathing and it's all in here and I'm going to smile and nod. And, you know, if you ever watch shows like American Idol, you'll see some people go out there and they just open their mouth and sing like Leona Lewis and they can't be rejected because they have the voice of an angel and others who are really not prepared and they do a lot of umming and ahhing. And so it's not about convincing the audience you're good. You've got to convince yourself you're good first. I've got oh, something. Yes. Mm-hmm. When you spend a little time saying, I got a message, it's a good message, I can share it. You won't, And if you know you can't be rejected, because really the only person who can reject you is you. And when you can't reject you, no one else can reject you. That's so powerful. Yeah, we all should, you know, do that. The only person who can reject me is me. And if I'm not rejecting me, you might say something really horrible to me. People have certainly done that before, but more nice things. But if I don't let it in, it can't hurt me. Yeah. And doesn't it help to have people around you who are supportive? Because, you know, we live in a culture where there is a lot of social comparison and we can actually really feel down on ourselves, you know, especially in this age of social media. So what are your thoughts on having a community or a support system that can kind of reflect those positive thoughts to us? Humans are hardwired to find connection, avoid rejection. So you, your DNA requires connection. We live in a world where we're becoming more disconnected every day. I could get everything done on Instagram. I could never leave my house for six weeks, six months, probably six years actually, And as long as I've got money going into my bank account, I can order everything here and I'm not going to die of rejection anymore, but it still feels like I just might. So in a world of disconnection, we have to work harder to find community. We have to work harder to go out and meet people and talk to people and think, you know, there's always a community for something. There's net mums, mums net, grands net. There's communities that are rescuing animals, rescuing dogs and cats cleaning up the beaches, there's Greenpeace, there's Friends of the Earth. So the problem is that, you know, we're so scared of being rejected that we end up rejecting ourselves, And we we have to be connected. But your job is to find connection. We'll say, oh, I don't know how to make friends. Well, be one. You know, offer to walk a neighbor's dog, offer to babysit, go to the same salon every day, go to the same gym, talk to people, find a group, go to night classes, do anything do volunteering. One of my um, clients, her husband left and she was desperate, just in such a bad way. And then she decided to volunteer at an animal shelter in the UK. And she was rescuing little baby hedgehogs and bottle feeding foxes and feeding little birds from a dropper. And she said, it's the best thing. I love it so much. And of course, she met a guy there volunteering too, fell in love, then blissfully happily married. But she went to that little place 
twice a week and there are lots of people volunteering and she met people. So even if you go to night school or what, there's always somewhere you can go, whether it's joining a choir, it doesn't really matter what it is, but if you're mm-hmm. not choosing to connect, you must be choosing to disconnect. You know, it's the easiest thing in the world to talk to people. Yeah. And loneliness is a massive global epidemic right now. Huge. But we're not yeah. teaching people. You know, we we go to school to learn to socialize, of course. And we used to go to work, then we'd all go out to a bar or a restaurant or a party. So we did have social skills. We used to have every community had a little village hall and a community center. And nowadays, many of us work from home. COVID's done a lot of damage to that ability to to communicate with people. But we all have to be responsible for finding our own tribe. We need to belong. Belonging is a need. And if you're really, really lonely, many people are, you have to find a way of connecting to people. You know, my mother did. When my father died, my mother just said, that's it. She said, come and visit. I said, Mom, you need to go out. I don't want to go. I said, but you need to meet people. No, I just want my children around me. And I found little tea dances and and she wouldn't go to anything. I said, Mom, look at this lovely. They're going to come and pick you up and take you to play cards. They have a movie night. I don't want to go. I said, but you have to go because you're so lonely. And I really had to make her go. But she was one of those people who said, I, I don't want to meet strangers, but they weren't. I mean, going to a movie night is a lovely thing. It's all free. It's a people your age. They've got cake and food and they've got these little dancers. My aunt actually was rather different. She looked after her mother. When her mother died, she was 65 and she had no life. And she went to a tea dance on her own. And she met a guy and was married within two years. Having That was her first marriage too. Wow. But it is a choice. Where can I go to meet people? It may be hard, but so is not having anyone in your life. Who could I do? I mean, people say often Christmas is the loneliest time of the year, but not if you volunteer. Yeah. And are there any subconscious blocks that can prevent people from connecting with others? Yeah. You might reject me. You might reject me. Yeah. Our greatest fear is the fear of being rejected because not long yeah. ago it killed us. Being yeah. banished, being marooned, being cast out. And we still have religions that cast you out, banish you. And it's our greatest fear. But, you know, nowadays you can always there's always another tribe. If your tribe don't like you, find another one. There's always people all over the world. And we all suffer from that epidemic of loneliness. So we all have to be more friendly to others and let people in and, and believe that we can find friends. If you want a friend, you got to be one. Mm. Thank you for sharing that, Marissa. I, I'm sure that a lot of people listening find that very comforting to know. Marissa, I want to ask you one more question before we end our conversation. So we are being bombarded by information these days. I mean, we are consuming all kinds of content from all types of media a lot of them trying to brainwash us and subconsciously influence us with their uh, messages and the agendas that they have. So what is your advice for those who really want to be aware of the impact that these people, institutions have on their mind, especially those who have a lot of power and access to them? What is your advice to really protect their thoughts? Just the way you'd be, you wouldn't just let anyone, if someone knocked on your door and they looked a bit weird, you wouldn't let them in your house. 
you know, was aunt, if someone knocked on your door at 2 everything, I'm not answering. I don't know who that is, but I'm not answering the door at 2 a.m. Just as you wouldn't let someone into your house that seemed a bit weird, a bit strange, a bit odd, a bit disabled. In the same way, you can't let people into your life, so your screen is you're letting them in. So you have to be more discerning, have less screen time. If you have your own Instagram and your own, don't just let anyone join. Have some privacy channels. And when you're, don't spend a huge amount of time scrolling. You want to really have face-to-face, real skin-on-skin relationships more. When you're on the screen, often it's not that hard to work. Oh, they're trying to sell me. Other things you look at and they go, wait, don't go. So oh, I've got something more and just stay and stay to the end. And we've got this great thing. It's like, oh my God, I've been here for such a long time. Just leave. You know, if someone's got something good to give you, they'll give it to you very quickly. I'm a great believer. If you want to give somebody something, do it fast. Do it in the first five minutes. But when people are trying to suck you in, if it's too good to be true, it probably is too good to be true. If people are going on and on and they still haven't even got to the point, it's like, well, what, where are we going here? Just leave. If it's promising everything, but half an hour and you still don't know what it is. You, we all have to be more discerning. You know, people who've got nothing to hide, hide nothing. They tell you straight up, this is why you're here. I'm going to offer you this, give you that, sell you this. Yeah, especially with all the the algorithms, you know, they're really trying to, they try to create these echo chambers that really feed us information uh, repeatedly. I know, you know, you you have one look at one flight and suddenly you get bombarded. You have phone settings that stop that. So we have to be smarter about, you know, using our phone settings, not signing up, clicking the box that says, don't send me more stuff and periodically go through your emails and just keep deleting all that junk. And even have two emails. I have one email for work. I have, if I want to buy something, I use a separate email because I know that email is going to be full of spam and I just use it for buying things. But I don't go in it every day, but I only go in it when I'm buying something else. So if you have a separate email just for purchasing or signing up and you only go in there to purchase and sign up, but you're really in your own personal email, you're not going to be bombarded with all this algorithm trying to sell you more. So most people who are smart say I have a separate one and I don't Hmm. really look at it every day. So that's yeah. the best way. That's a great tip. Yeah. And what about subliminal messages? Because I know a lot of advertisers use that to their advantage. They do. And, you know, we're easily swayed. But so the same thing, you know, it's like you have to be smart. You know, what, what do you want to buy? What do you want to purchase? You know, if you're going to go somewhere. So you might say, well, if I go to this mall, I'm going to come out with so much stuff. So don't take your credit cards. Um, don't go there. Go somewhere else. Go to If you want to go out for the day and you don't want to be a consumer, don't go to a mall. Don't go somewhere where they buy something. And, and take a limited amount of cash with you. Then you won't feel tempted. I just bought it. I just bought it. I thought I had to buy it because I was there. Or well, this salesman, you know, forced me into it. The, the, when you say I don't have my card on me, I've left my wallet at home, they quickly leave you alone. Yes. I have a great phone on a chain and I can go out now for the whole day and not take anything with me except my phone. Of course, people say, but, you know, I've got Apple Pay, but no one knows you have that. So, we, you know, again, we have to be responsible. I'm not going to go to this. If I don't want to eat a big dinner and I'm trying not to eat badly, my friend says, come out, we're going to Pizza Express. I say, 
I'm going to join you for coffee at nine o'clock. I got another meeting because if I don't want to eat pizza, then I, I can still see I can turn up later. If I didn't have money for an expensive dinner, I say to my friends, I'm just going to join you for dessert because I'm somewhere else beforehand. You know, recently someone said to me, hey, I want to take you out for dinner. I booked a table and they booked the table at 10 o'clock. I'm like, it's so lovely, but I just don't go out for dinner at 10 o'clock because I'm eating at 11. I'm coming home at one. It just messes up my day. And so you have to be able to, I said, but why don't you come around here and I'll make you dinner or we'll, we'll order in. But I guess you have to have a sense of yourself. You have to think, because here's the thing, there's being a complete victim and there's being completely selfish. And right in the middle, it's called honoring yourself. What do I want? Do I really want to go to this um, event that's going to cost $500? Do I really want to spend all that money? No. So I can go, well, I could be a complete martyr and go anyway to please them. I could be really selfish and go, I'm not coming. It's too expensive. I could just in the middle say, oh, that sounds lovely, but I'm already committed or thank you so much, but no. You know, I see some people say, you know, I got I had to go on a hen weekend and it cost money I didn't have. I spent $700. Well, you have to have the sense of self to say, I'd love to come, but it's just not going to work for me. You have to practice saying, thank you so much, but that's not going to work. Or thank you, I'm already committed. Or thank you so much, but actually I'm committed financially. I don't have $750 to go on this weekend. And don't feel bad about it. You've got to honor yourself. When you remember, oh, I'm honoring myself. If I go and spend that money, I'll be so upset with myself for going. I won't enjoy it. I'll come back and beat myself. Oh, why did I go? You know, we've all got FOMO, but I have something called DOMO, the absolute delight of missing out. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. People say, oh, I, I got to go everywhere. I say, you know what? I'm going to stay home with my animals and watch TV, lie on the sofa. And I don't have FOMO, I have JOMO, the joy of missing out, the delight of missing out. So don't get sucked into stuff that isn't right for you in case you upset someone else, because in order to not upset them, guess who you're going to upset you? And upsetting you is so much worse. You've got to honor yourself. I won't enjoy it. I won't like it. It's not my thing. I'm just going to say no. Mm. So setting those clear boundaries and being comfortable with enforcing them. I mean, when I got married, I didn't even have a hen. Like the idea of going out and getting drunk and running around town, I couldn't do anything worse. So I said to my best friend, honestly, let's just stay in and watch TV and have some food. And so me and my daughter, my best friend, had the loveliest time because that's really not me. You know, I love going out, but I'm not a wild party. I used to be. I can't imagine staying out till 4 a.m. anymore. So for me, at the end of an evening, I love to come home, get into bed, go on net and go, oh, this is lovely. I'm going to watch a show for half an hour, wind down, have a bath. And if I said yes to all those things that don't make me happy, I'd be unhappy with myself. So but you might love going out till 5 a.m., in which case say yes to it all, but don't do it to please someone else because if – in order, if you have to, in order to please someone else, unplease yourself. That's not a win for you at all. Mm. Yeah, great. Well, Marissa, it's been wonderful speaking and learning from you. Um, I am so grateful that you made the time to be here with us today to share your immense knowledge and wisdom with us. 
Thank you so much. And if you go to marissabeer.com, we've got so many free audios on money blocks, love blocks, health blocks, success blocks. Yes. It's totally free. Take them for you or for someone else. And if you want to find out how to train in RTT, do what I do, or find someone who's already done it, go to rtt.com. Perfect. Yeah. And I'll make sure I add those links in the description for all our listeners. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed what you just heard, please subscribe to my podcast and feel free to share it with your friends and family. Take care and speak soon.